Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. I love basketball. Many of you guys know that uh, if you've been around for any length of time. And you can probably look at and tell me that I would be the kind of guy that would like basketball. Obviously because of my bald head reminds you of a basketball, right? That's the main thing. My height, though, seriously, growing up, my height and my lankiness, my long arms, I've got freakishly long arms. Like, if I really let my arms go, like, I'm dragging my knuckles. So, yeah, I've got these really long arms. And watch this. I don't, I I bet you didn't know I can make it grow. Watch. Pretty cool, isn't it? Did you see that? These kids are looking at me like I'm unimpressed. Anyway, so because of that, I grew up loving basketball. And I would play wherever I could find a place to, to play. And that sometimes meant in Montgomery going up to the community center at Cloverdale Middle School, or at that time it was Cloverdale Junior High. Cloverdale sat right on Cloverdale Road. Right? No, what sat on Fairview Avenue in Montgomery. <clears throat> and it was... Oh, I don't know. Back in those days, you didn't, you didn't know the distance. You just knew how long it took you by bike to get there, right? And so by bike, it was about a 10-minute bike ride from my house to go up there. And there were many times that I would go in there, and I would be just one of a few people that were like me. And I would go in, and I would sit down, and I would call, uh, or I'd wait for the next game. But there was a pecking order, Right? And the first few times I went, I remember going in there and just kind of being this tall, lanky guy, just kind of sitting on the fringe, watching, just hoping, bidding my time, hoping that I could get in. And there were guys from all over the community that came and played. So it wasn't just middle schoolers. I mean, this was high school guys. It was, it was uh, some of the older middle school guys and, and guys from the community that just show up. And it was really good basketball. And so the first couple of times I went, I remember going and standing on the side just thinking, man, I hope someone will let me play. And after a few moments, I realized that the system of how you call next and how you get people on your team or how you get on a team. And, and so finally, I, I got in. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, this is just kind of probably says too much about me than I want you to know. But I remember thinking, they're about to find out. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me, Mark? Mark's back there laughing at me. All right, I did. I thought that. I thought... They're about to find out. <clears throat> and when I went out there, the first couple of times, they would, they would soft guard me, right? So everybody that was guarding me, you played man-to-man. I've lost some of you, but that means that every person plays defense against one other person. But help defense is if I'm playing my man and there's someone over here who's getting beat, they'll, I'll slide off and help that guy that's help defense. Well, they were playing help defense on everybody else and just left me out there the first couple of times. It didn't take them long to find out that I was lethal. <laughs> uh, the glory days. I was, I was the sniper. I actually got a nickname 
the first couple, after the first couple of times of playing there, they started calling me Christian Leitner. So I was always whoever the white guy was that was the tall, good player at the time. So one time I was Big Country, if you remember who that is. So they used to call me Big Country, or I might have the nickname Christian Leitner, but this particular time was Christian Leitner. And I remember the first time playing, stepping out there, and, and I don't mean this the way it's going to sound, but I really did because they didn't think I could do anything. I took over the game. I ended up helping my team win, and we ran the court that day, which means you win, you stay on the court. We ran the court that day. And the feeling I got after having sat and watched and waited and hoped that someone would just give me a chance to play, that feeling of, now you know. Imagine what that was like for the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, please understand, I'm not comparing myself to Jesus in any way. <laughs> and my acumen for basketball doesn't compare in Jesus' ability to lead and to change lives. So it's a, it's a really bad analogy, but it was really the only thing that I ever th could think of in my life where I had to sit and wait impatiently, and I knew that I could do more than the people that were getting the chance than I did. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been there in your job, right? Some of you have pe seen people advance that you know, yeah, I'm smarter and better than that guy. Some of you have seen this in sports. Yeah, I know I'm better than the person who's starting ahead of me. Some of you have seen it in, in relationships, that that person is giving someone way more time than they're giving me, and, and their relationship with me would be much more vital. I mean, we've all experienced it in some way, but in my mind, the thing that stood out was standing there and waiting and lacing up and untying and retying and and stretching and restretching and just waiting for a chance, knowing that I'm better than most of the guys out there. It's the only thing that I could think of like that in my life. But imagine being Jesus. And for, we don't know exactly how long, but for 30 years he's been on the sideline. He's watched people come and go in religious leadership. He's watched people uh, rise to leadership in the ranks of the temple. He's seen how the, th the changes have been made in his local synagogue. He's watched as all of these men around him, and sorry ladies, at that time it was men, they would have risen up into these positions of power and influence. He watched as Rome had an awful ruler and dictated what was happening in his world. Imagine, I mean seriously guys, imagine having the power to snap your finger and destroy anybody but having to wait patiently. Imagine seeing all of these people steer others in the wrong way but having to wait knowing your time wasn't yet full. Imagine being Jesus with all his wisdom, with all his knowledge, with all his power, with his direct knowledge of God's plan for his life, the Father's plan for his life, and then having to wait. I'm sorry, I don't think I could do it. If I'm honest, I couldn't do it. I was impatient waiting for a pickup basketball game. But not Jesus. Today we're going to look at Luke 3, verse 21 and 22, just two verses. 
And it's funny because the section before this, we don't have time to look at and to, and to gain some, some good background from it, but it's the section that describes the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry. And it's all about how John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. Now, this is another one of those things where he's looking at it going, okay, this is my cousin, John. He's, he's part of my family, and he's the one that's supposed to come before me. And he's got these great, huge crowds gathering around him, and all of these people are getting baptized by him, and he's preaching and teaching them. And I know that I've got a better baptism. I know that I have more knowledge. I know that I have a greater impact than what he has, but I'm just going to sit on the sidelines for now. I've got to wait my turn. And so Jesus waits patiently. And John was baptizing people down at the, at the, uh, at the river, right? The Jordan River, and we, we think it was probably up close to, um, to where the river comes out and begins its journey from uh, the Sea of Galilee down through the valley and into the Dead Sea. And so it was somewhere probably close to Galilee, and there are a couple of places if you go over there now where they say, this is the place where John was baptizing people and Jesus came to be baptized, and just for a small fee, you can be baptized here. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> They've even built stalls into the river, like you're at Disney, and you have to walk around and you know, wait till next. Can I come now? I, will, I can't even imagine what that's like in COVID. Do you have to wear a mask as you go under to be baptized? And I don't know. But John was baptizing in the Jordan River, and Jesus was off looking, looking at this great crowd that had gathered. And he'd been watching John at a distance. And Jesus made a decision. I love how Ken Geyer puts this. Ken Geyer, if you've never read anything by Ken Geyer, he is phenomenal. And he's got a book called Moments with the Savior, which is a great devotional read if you ever want a, a just a really good devotional read ken geyer moments with the savior and in that book he talks about jesus standing watching down in the valley as this is going on and making a decision it's now time for me to step into it you see the people that had been gathered in the valley the people that were there being baptized by john there were soldiers Soldiers who had killed people. Soldiers who had, who had stolen from people. Soldiers who used their power in ways that wasn't right. There were adulterers there. People who had, who had broken the law. People who had lied and cheated their way to the top. People who were despicable, horrible, broken. And at this moment, in the story of Jesus, he begins his journey into the brokenness. Jesus steps into the midst. He steps right there into the midst of all of that humanity and all of that brokenness, and he does so willingly. Do you understand how beautiful of a picture it is just to see Jesus walk down the side of the bank and enter into the waters where everybody else had been baptized and washed clean from their sins? He enters into the fray. He enters into their sin without committing sin. He chooses ugliness. Verse 21, 
Now when all these people had been baptized, all these despicable kind of people that no one liked had been baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized. Now if John was baptizing people for repentance, why was it that Jesus had to be baptized? There was nothing that he did to repent from. And this is a conundrum that a lot of theologians talk about and a lot of scholars have written scholarly works on. But the bottom line is Jesus chose the baptism of John in repentance because this is where he begins to take on our humanity. At his birth, he took on humanity, but at the river, he took on our humanity, our broken version of humanity. Jesus chose the sinners. And so Luke says, And when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying. Now what's interesting here is the two previous verbs are all in the past tense, but this word for praying, this version of praying, is, uh, is, is an active noun that is a present active indicative, which means it's an ongoing action. Well, it's actually a middle, but that doesn't matter. So it is an action that Jesus is doing ongoing. When you find this describing someone, it means that their life is wrapped up in this action of prayer. That prayer is a part of the fabric of who they are. Now, we don't get that in our English reading, but if you could read it in Greek, you would realize that what he's saying here is that Jesus not only had been baptized, yeah, with everybody else, that had gone on, but now he was praying. While he was praying, the very core of how he experienced the Father over and over again was this personal relationship that was happening in prayer. So, as Jesus was continuing to pray might be a better translation. Now it's happening down at the river. He's been baptized. That happened. And Jesus was there in the midst of all of this brokenness and all of this sin. And he's, and he's been baptized like he needed forgiveness and he didn't. And he's standing there soaking the scene in, realizing that he's waiting in the waters of brokenness and sin that has been washed away floating there in the Jordan. And he's praying. And while he was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. And it said, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. In Luke's version of this story, the baptism is two words. It's not a story about Jesus' baptism. It's a story about his anointing of the Spirit. And that's important to understand if we're going to understand the beginning of Jesus' ministry here. His ministry didn't start when he stood on the edge of the valley and he decided to step down into the valley and go to the river. His ministry didn't start when he waded into the waters and took on this responsibility of human sin, even though he didn't have to. His ministry didn't begin when he went under the water and he came back up to new life, even though he didn't need new life. His ministry began as he was praying and the Holy Spirit descended and anointed him. 
Now, what's interesting about this quote is that it comes from two sources, Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now, if you understand anything about the way Luke writes, particularly as he writes in this part of his scriptures, so Luke wrote Luke and... Very good, very good. Luke and Acts. So he wrote a two-part series to the story of Jesus and the first century church. And in this part of his writing, in this part of his literature, he uses a lot of allusions that go back to the Old Testament to prove exactly who Jesus is. Matthew does the same thing, but he doesn't just allude. He quotes, like full-on quotes it. But Luke kind of alludes to it. Now, part of that is because Luke's audience was mixed. It was both Jewish people and non-Jewish people. People who would have known what the quote was from and people who didn't. So he's writing in such a way that they would all kind of be able to understand it at face value. But these are two quotes, or parts of two quotes from two different verses. The first has to do from Psalm 2, and particularly Psalm 2-7. And in Psalm 2-7, we think that it was part of the royal, uh, what would happen when someone was ascending to the throne and they sang a royal hymn. This is a hymn that was sung when there was a, a, a king enthroned. And so the first part of this quote kind of nods its head at the fact that this is Jesus' enthronement. This is his time. He is stepping into becoming the king. And not only any king, but the Davidic king that had been promised. The king that everybody had been waiting for. The king who was going to come and set everything straight. The king who was going to kick out Rome and totally abolish all other powers. The king that was going to set up a new kingdom. So the first allusion is to this thought that Jesus is that king. That he's the long-awaited Davidic king who was coming to set up a new kingdom. Little did they know it was a different kind of kingdom. And the second part is from Isaiah 42, and particularly Isaiah 42.1, which deals less with the identity and more with the mission. You see, in 42.1, he talks about how the servant has come to bring justice and set people free. And so in this one quote, this voice that came from heaven, which we're supposed to assume is God's voice, and who's he speaking to here, by the way? Who hears the voice? Everybody. All right. In Matthew, it's everybody. In Mark, it's a revelation just to Jesus. In Luke, this is all happening as Jesus is praying. The audience is Jesus. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. He's saying, Jesus, you are the Davidic king. Jesus, you are the suffering servant who came to bring justice, who set the captives free. You're the one. It's your time. Get in the game. And by the way, here's the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' anointing. This is his ascending into his rightful place. This is him taking a step into the ministry that he was called to do. This is him being let off the chain. He had waited 
for 30 years. And remember last week we talked about what it was like as a 12-year-old. He was in there blowing the minds of all these great scholars. Like he was asking questions and answering questions and, and having this deep theological conversation with all these men. And again, I'm sorry, at that time it was just men. <clears throat> and all of these deep conversations in the temple. And his mom goes, what in the world are you doing? Don't you know? We've been looking for you all this time. And his answer was, didn't you know I had to be about my father's work? So from 12 years old, he knew he had a work. From 12 years old, he longed to be a part of what the father was sending him to do. He longed to fulfill his, his, his great mission. He longed to become all that he was supposed to be. Since 12 years old, it was birthed in this guy. At least... And now he's had to wait some 18 years or more or less. And now he hears from the Father, now's the time. And here's the Spirit. Go. So what does this mean for us? This is all a great theological exercise to understand a little bit more about Jesus. But what does it mean for us? First off, I think one thing that we need to hear today and now is it means that there is no king but one. There's only one Davidic king. There's only one kingdom that we need to care about. And I know people who have gotten so wrapped up into conspiracy theories and so wrapped up into, you know, oh my gosh, what's going on? And, and everything's, are we going to even be able to survive? Are we going to be able to be Christian in this country anymore? And all of this stuff, right? I get it. I hear it. But there's only one king in one kingdom. And the king isn't Biden and the king isn't Trump. The king doesn't wear blue and the king doesn't wear red. So just stop worrying. Your kingdom is not here. We belong to a different kingdom. I think this is a reminder for us today. There's something new that started. And yes, I understand that policies impact all of us. I'm not saying they don't. What I am saying is there's a king above it all. And even if they take my life, dead gentlemen, it doesn't matter. Because as Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do with me what you want. And think about Paul. We had this conversation, I think, on Monday night. Or I had it with my family. Paul was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. And I'm not talking about the Colorado kind of stone. He was dragged out, he was put before judges, he was falsely accused, he was lied about, he was thrown in prison to rot and die, he was chained and beaten again. And through all of it, he was like, it doesn't matter. Do with me what you want. Because if I'm locked up in prison, guess what? The prison guard who has to stand outside my door is going to hear about Jesus all day long. Thank you, God, for that opportunity. I think we've become so soft that we don't realize sometimes faith and being a part of a different kingdom 
means you're at odds with this world and this kingdom. And that's okay. Because God's bigger. And your kingdom wins in the end. That's the first thing. Sorry, let me get off my soapbox. I put that back over here now. We'll put it down here. Now, what does it mean for our personal faith? What does this mean for our personal faith? What was Jesus, I I said this early in the sermon, what was he doing nonstop? What defined him? There was a word. He did this ongoing, and it was pray, right. I think one thing that we have to realize, if we're going to get through whatever issues that we have in our life, if we're going to get through whatever pressures we feel from our culture, if we're going to get through and achieve what God wants us to achieve, it starts with us being diligent to build a life of prayer. And I am not good at this. I've confessed this over and over again. Like, I want to do a checklist. Like, God, here's the stuff. Here's what's going on. Five minutes, bada bing, bada bang, I'm out the door because I've got stuff to do. Anybody else like that? I mean, that's me. That's what I struggle with. And I'm just being real and honest with you guys. But Jesus wasn't that kind of prayer. He did some of those kind of prayers, but prayer really defined his life. It was a lifestyle. I mean, think about the chaos of that scene with hundreds of people around and people getting dunked in the water and this guy wearing some weird horse hair kind of shirt or whatever it was. What was it? Not horse hair. Camel hair. That's right. They don't have, yeah. Camel hair. I mean, think about how odd of a picture that is. That guy's eating honey and locusts and he's wearing a hair shirt. There was a guy at the YMCA growing up that I thought used to wear a hair shirt and it was just his back hair. It was disgusting. And have you ever seen back hair that's really long in water? It kind of floats up to the surface. (laughs) I'm sorry. It does. The first time I saw this guy, I'm like, is that a kelp mat that's floating around behind him? And it was his back hair. So, (laughs) So I'm picturing John the Baptist in this hair shirt made of camel with hair floating around him and just this odd, crazy chaotic scene with all of these people gathered around and the religious leaders on the shore going this guy's an idiot this guy's weird he's eating he's got a kelp mat floating behind him he's baptizing people all of that stuff and jesus is right there in the middle of that chaos and what he's doing what is he doing he's praying prayer I think one thing that we can learn from Jesus and apply to our life is we've got to be a people of prayer. I think a second thing that we have to learn is that we have to be patient until he speaks. How many times do you try to run ahead of God? Again, I'll be the first to admit it. Hey, God, aren't you going to catch up? Come on. And he's looking at me like I looked at the guys out on the court and said, you just don't even know. So sometimes in our prayer life, we get a clear understanding of what God calls us to do. So, but the, the thing that Jesus did is he waited patiently until the Father said, okay. And I think that's the second thing we can learn from this. Sometimes God's answer isn't no, it's just wait. If you just wait, the timing's going to be just right. And 
And then the third thing I think we can learn from this, and these aren't the only three, guys. This isn't like, oh, Todd said there were only three things to learn from this passage. It's not it at all. These are three things that I learned from this passage. And the third thing is, is that God speaks and he sends power, but only if I give him opportunity. And I think the first two are connected to that. Prayer and waiting are connected to God's power and his direction and his sending. And so guys, I don't know where you are in your faith journey, but those are the things I think we can learn from Jesus if we just have the ears to hear. What I want you to remember is that we're part of a different kingdom. And we get our marching orders in a different way. And we're called to live our life differently. That day that I got the, okay, we'll finally let you play. And I got the nod and I went out there on the court. I'd been waiting and waiting and waiting because I knew what I could do. And I knew that I could make some of these chumps look foolish. And I stepped out on the court, and we played, and we, we actually ran the court that day, and we, 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 held, we held court the rest of the day. As we left, there was a satisfaction. A satisfaction I don't think I would have had had I forced the issue. Had the first time I showed up, I'd inserted myself. Had I not waited patiently, had I talked obnoxiously, had I, been, had I been the guy that walked out there and said, yo, you don't know what you're about to get into. Had I smack talked and all of that, it would, have, I would have, it would have been a totally different outcome, I guarantee you. But because I waited patiently, because I bided my time, because when it was time for me to step on the court, it was the right time, I was able to accomplish something that I didn't know that I could accomplish. I thought I could. And I think it's the same way with God. Pray, listen, wait. Let him call you in his time. Don't run ahead. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you. But I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it. Put it into action. Until next week. Have a great one.